Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We left off with verse 3 of the 15th chapter in our last lesson, and I probably gave you the outline for the whole of the 15th chapter, but since it's been a, a while, we'll give you the outline again. The first three verses, we have the believers. The believers should follow the example of Christ on doubtful things. So that was the first three verses, which we've already taught. And then verses 4 through 13, we have the fellowship of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Their fellowship. And then verses 14 through 22, we have the apostle Paul boldly and humbly defending his personal testimony. And then in verses uh, 23 through 29, we have the apostles' vast journeys. He mentions how he will go to uh, Spain and he will come by. He will visit Rome as he goes to take his journey to Spain. That's in verse 24. But in verses uh, 30 through 33, we have the personal appeal for prayer. So these five things you'll find in this 15th chapter. We'll pick up with verse 4 for our verse-by-verse study of this uh, 15th chapter. Notice it says in verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience, or through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So Paul is telling us here that the Old Testament is for our learning. Those things that were written aforetime, you know, some people confine their studies to the New Testament only. But you cannot study the New Testament without studying the Old Testament. Because right here it tells us that they were written for our learning. And uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul in this 1 Corinthians, book of 1 Corinthians, is rehearsing some things that happened to Israel, and he's telling us, and we'll just point out the necessary verses. He's telling us in verse 6, Now these things were our examples. These things that happened to Israel in the days of Moses. Speaks of Moses and the things that happened. And he says, These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He goes on down in verse uh, 11. Now all these happen... All these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So that what was written concerning Moses and the children of Israel was written for our admonition. And back in Romans now, chapter 15, verse 4, that's why we know that whatsoever things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So we should learn the Old Testament. And it says that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we can find patience and comfort in studying the Old Testament. Might have hope. Now then, it says in verse uh, 5 then, Now the God of patience, the Scriptures bring us patience and comfort, but God is the God of patience. You know, you'll find in this uh, chapter, in verse 5, the God of patience. Look in verse 13 quickly. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now look at verse uh, 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. And I think you find it again in the 16th chapter. Let's see where if I can find it. The God of peace. Uh, well, I had it, but I can't see it. 
But anyway, you'll find it again in the 16th chapter, the God of peace. So we find that uh, there, there is the God of patience, the God of hope, the God of peace. We find in other places that he's spoken of as the God of power, the God of mercy, God of love. He's the God of all grace. He's the God of our salvation. But he's especially the God of patience and consolation. Romans fifteen five, and I'm hurrying you back because I want to cover this. It says, uh, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So, uh, it is a great thing for God to be to us the God of patience. And patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one special thing that God would have us to have. If you look in Colossians 1, let me give you a verse of Scripture. In the book of Colossians 1, verse 11, it's talking about being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10, verse 11 says, Strengthened with all might, all of God's might, according to His glorious power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does He do? Unto, look at this, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. When God's might and power and Spirit is working in us, what will it bring about? It will produce in us patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You see, when God enables us to control ourselves and to have patience, He is a God of power working this because most of us are very impatient. And we cannot have patience apart from His power and His strength. He strengthens us with this patience. And it's from His mighty power that He works this in us. Now then, back again in our text. Romans 15, verse 6. It says, That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Here's unity. Paul wants us to have unity. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be of one mind, of one accord. And that we with one mouth glorify God. Now then, what does it mean? It means that if we're in, in so much of one accord and one spirit and one heart, and one purpose as Christians, that when one of you, when any one of us, not just the preacher, but any one of us speaks out for the others, we will approve that. We are as if one mouth we were glorifying God. Haven't you seen that uh, from time to time one of the brethren would express a certain thought? And we all are in perfect if we're in one spirit and one accord, we're in perfect harmony and agreement with that thought. Now then, it's only when there's discord and trouble and strife that that's not true. That's why we're to endeavor to keep, uh, Paul says, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And when we do that, it wouldn't make any difference whether the preacher was speaking or one of the deacons, one of the laymen, one of the brethren, or one of the, the ladies of the church was saying something uh, to exhort or to guide us into whatever we're discussing, either, either in uh, the matter of teaching the Word or business matters or whatever comes up, we would be in agreement. We wouldn't be in opposition to one another. So let's endeavor to have that oneness that Paul speaks of here. In verse 7, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Christ received us, and we became in harmony with God only through Christ. He was the one that brought us into real fellowship because He received us and then we were brought uh, to God and to the glory of God 
we were received. Verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that is, the Jews, of, uh, of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Look at that quickly. In other words, Jesus came, first of all, to his own. And he came to fulfill the promises that were made to the fathers. And he did exactly that. Remember in the book of John, chapter 1, the gospel, he says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He told the apostles as they went out at one time, those that were sent, he said, Go not, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Paul says the gospel is to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Jesus Christ was the minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. And so he confirmed the promises that were made to the fathers. Verse 9, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, the Gentiles received the mercies of God through the Jewish people. <clears throat> That's why Paul is encouraging fellowship here in verses 4 through 13 of both Jews and Gentiles. There should be fellowship. We've been partakers of their blessing. And it says... Uh, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. So that the blessings that originally were meant for the Jews uh, extended out and broadened out through Jesus Christ and through the gospel and to the Gentiles. In verse, uh, verse 10, And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. Why should we not rejoice if we receive the mercies and blessings of God through those that God had promised mercy unto? In verse 11, And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Both Jews and Gentiles are to praise God. And especially are we who are Gentiles, who are not really under the covenant relationship of the Jewish nation, but God extended the, the covenant of grace to us. After Christ had come unto his own, and his own received him not, and after uh, he confirmed the promises of God, to the fathers, and was a minister to the circumcision, verse 8. Then we Gentiles became uh, recipients of God's grace and of salvation. And in verse 12, again, Esaias saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, <clears throat> and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. So there's the encouragement for uh, both Jews and Gentiles, to have fellowship together. You know, he mentions in these verses hope and glory and rejoicing and praise and joy and peace and, and the power of the Holy Ghost. He mentions all these things to, to show us that there can be a, a mutual fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. Even verse 13 says, Now the God of, of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a good verse in itself. Look at it. It says, He's a God of hope. And He says, May he fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now look, by believing, you have peace and joy. Look at it in the reverse, because that's really the way it happens experimentally. You have joy, but you have that as a result of peace. And you have peace as a result of believing. So that all joy and peace is by faith. And it is by the power and through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's always the order. We have, first of all, faith. And therefore, we have peace with God. And this brings about joy in the heart. You'll, you'll find that we've touched on it before, and I'm sure you remember. Now then, <clears throat> verses 14 through 22. And we cannot but narrow it down and give you the main thought of the portion of Scripture, or else we'd have so many divisions you couldn't understand. It would be hard to 
get them over so that we would understand together the things that we would try to teach. But the apostle boldly and humbly defends his personal testimony. He says, And I myself, I myself, Paul, also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul had confidence that they were full of goodness. And I believe we ought to have the confidence that the brethren, that each and every child of God, and especially the faithful Christians in the church, certainly are full of goodness. And he says, filled with all knowledge. That means we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's Word. And able by that also to admonish one another. We're able to exhort one another, to admonish one another. And that's what we need in the fellowship of our church. Now then, in verse 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God. Sometimes Paul was not as, um, he didn't spread as much honey out as he should. Maybe he was uh, very strict and uh, he would lay down the law, so to speak, at times in the book of Romans. But he was very gracious, too, to recognize their goodness and their knowledge and that how they were able to admonish one another. But he says, I've written boldly, more boldly at, uh, at times. And he says in verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. And what he's saying is that when he preached the gospel, it was with authority and power. It was not with any doubt or with any uh, drawing back or any uh, lack of courage on his part, but he was willing to stand boldly for the sake of the gospel, even though it may cut the wrong way on the part of some that would hear it. He was faithful to it. And he said, I'm the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, it is the gospel of God, the very theme and subject of this book. Romans 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And he tells us the nature of that gospel, that it was promised by the prophets, verse 2 in the Holy Scriptures. It was concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, made of the seed of David according to the flesh. In verse 4, he says, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So it was the gospel of God that Paul was concerned about. And he declared that gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he tells that it was concerning the how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, how that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And this is the gospel that Paul preached, and this is the gospel that brought salvation to everyone that believed that Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. In the 10th chapter of Romans, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God hath, what, raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it's faith in the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that brings salvation to the believer. All right, Paul was faithful to that gospel, and he said he was a minister to the Gentiles of that gospel. In verse 17, <clears throat> I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. In other words, he says there's a lot of things that I can glory in, that I'm uh, thankful for, that I can rejoice in. But he goes on to say, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. The only thing Paul really 
would glory in was what God had done by him. And for the purpose of making those that would hear him obedient by word and deed. In other words, Paul did what he preached, and the word that he preached would bring about obedience. And he wanted them to be obedient to the word and wanted them to show proper uh, following by word and deed. And his words and deeds were confirmed by the mighty power of God. And as he preached the gospel, he points that out in verse 19. Look at it. Through the mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about uh, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What is he saying here? That God's word confirmed in him the signs of the apostles, that uh, the miracles and signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God were wrought in him. He said the, the signs of an apostle, he speaks of those in another place, were wrought in me. And the signs were given to, to uh, verify, to authenticate the work and the words of the ministry of the apostles. And he tells us here that he had those signs so that he had fully preached the gospel of Christ. And by these, the proof of it was that the miracles and signs followed him. The power of the Holy Spirit rested upon him so that the word was confirmed, that he preached, that it was of God. Now, verse 20. <clears throat> he says, Yea, or yes, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Paul strived to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Paul was always going out and starting new churches. He wanted to have the own his own foundation. He wanted to build a new work. And we know that thus he was one that went about establishing churches in various places. <clears throat> now then in verse 21, he says, But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. That was Paul's desire to go about and, and start a new work here and there in Places where Christ had not been named. And that's exactly what he did. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist. But he was, most of all, an apostle, one sense of God, especially to the Gentile world. And he fulfilled that office with honor. And he was glad to be a, a servant of God in that way. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered in coming to you. In other words, because he had served in these other ways and because he had uh, preached the gospel to the Gentiles and he had established many churches and he had built not upon another man's foundation but had preached where, where Christ had not been named. Therefore, he was slow in getting to Rome. There were many ways that he had been hindered, and oftentimes he had been hindered from coming, as he said in verse 22. But he says now, verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts, I've fulfilled my ministry in these parts. It seems that he had gone everywhere that he could go, and he had compassed land and sea. Many times he, had, he was minded to go afoot, the Bible says. We know that he went uh, by ship many times, and we don't know all the means of transportation, but he had compass land and sea. He had gone as far as he could. And he says, But now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey to Spain. Now, Spain was at least, well, say seven, eight hundred miles away from Rome. But he says, When I take my journey to Spain, I will come to you, to you that are at Rome. He said in the first chapter of 
the book of Romans. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And he, he says, I will, I trust uh, to see you in my journey, verse 24, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. It seems before he would go and, and make that endeavor to go to Rome, he had a chore to do. He had a job to, to fulfill. And we'll see what it is in just a moment. It was concerning the poor saints at Jerusalem. <clears throat> and he begins to show here what his desire is for them. He says in verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. He says, here's some saints, churches of Macedonia and Achaia, that it's pleased them to make a contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Evidently, there was great poverty, great need, as far as uh, the physical and material thing. And so Paul was one to collect. He was going to collect these uh, bounties from those that were more blessed uh, as far as... Uh, finances were concerned, as far as temporal things were concerned, and share them with the poor saints at Jerusalem. And it says in verse 27, It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. In other words, if the Gentiles, to whom Paul had been preaching and establishing the churches, and Paul had been sent out and had come out, and uh, now, if they were sharing in the spiritual blessings, certainly then it would be nothing but right for these Gentiles that were well enough off and that could give of what they had to share with the poor saints of Jerusalem. And that's what Paul was saying. It says their debtors, their duty, it's their duty to send this back. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Now, when you speak of carnal things, we're not talking about carnal in the way of, of sinful we're talking about uh, temporal or material, things that are not of a spiritual nature, but they are of a temporal need. So their duty is to share. Verse uh, 28, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. When I have made sure, when I have sealed unto them this fruit, when I have sealed unto them this bounty that's taken up, when I've given them this offering, then I'm going to come to you by, uh, by you into Spain. He would come by Rome as he went on his way to Spain. But Paul felt that whatever he started out to do, he needed to finish. Notice he says, when I have sealed and have sealed to them this fruit. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the task, whatever nature of the task that we undertake for the Lord, it doesn't make any difference what it is, that we just... Continue to do it until it's done. Just keep on until that job is accomplished. Whatever you're sent to do, you say, well, I have a little mission to perform for the church or for the Lord. I'm going to do that. Well, are you going to give up halfway? Keep on until you get the job done. Just keep on until you get it done. That's what Paul did. Paul was a great evangelist. He was a great missionary. He was a great apostle to the Gentiles. But he says, I owe something to those poor saints back at Jerusalem. Not only did he feel a burden for them, but he says these other churches, it's pleased them 
uh, of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. And I promised that I would carry that back to those poor saints. And he says, when I've sealed unto them this fruit, then he says, I'll take my journey to you that are wrong. Isn't that a wonderful thing for a man to take a mission upon himself or a responsibility upon himself and being led of the Lord to do so? and say, I'm going to do that, whatever it takes to do it, I'm going to finish the work. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He finished the work which the Father gave him to do. We ought to be that way, too. Look at verse uh, 20. And I'm sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Look at Paul's blessing. He said when he would come to Rome, what would be a great blessing to them? Just to see Paul? No. Paul would come to them with the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul would impart unto them some spiritual gifts from the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And this is what brings a blessing to people. And Paul knew that. And he put that first and foremost in his ministry. To preach the gospel, he said, to you that are at Rome also. Now then in verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Now in verse 30 and 31, 32, he appeals for prayer. I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul says, I need your prayer. And he says, I'm going to pray, but he says, you pray with me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. My, what a desire and what a need for prayer. A desire that he be delivered, but a need, because there, there can be no more harm unknown than that is known by those who do not believe and who will resist and refuse the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the ones that cause the trouble. Now then, some want to hear and believe, but there are many that do not want to believe. And Paul's talking about that kind of people. He says that I may be delivered from them that do not believe, and really what it means that they're really disobedient to the gospel in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem uh, may be accepted of the saints. He says, now I have this offering for them. Everything is prepared, but I want you to pray that they, that, that they will accept it. You know, some of us do not know how to accept a gift. I'm thankful for every gift that I receive. I love to give, too to others. But we ought to learn how to receive, too. And Paul was praying that these people would learn how to receive, that, that the gift that he had for them would be accepted, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. And that was his particular service that he was speaking of as, at this time, that he had a, an offering for the poor saints of Jerusalem, and he wanted them to receive it and benefit from it and be thankful for it, and that it would be a blessing to them. Now then, in verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you and may with you be refreshed. In other words, he was even making those that are wrong to whom he was writing this letter a part of the giving, though they, did, they had no part in what Paul was doing. They had no part in what those of Macedonia and Achaia were doing, yet he was making them a part of it by them praying for him and praying for the poor saints of Jerusalem that they would accept the gift. He says that I might come unto you with joy by the will of God 
and may with you be refreshed. In other words, that they would all enjoy what was being accomplished. In verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He spoke of the God of patience earlier, didn't he? And he spoke of the God of hope. And here's the God of peace. Verse 13 is the God of hope. And we gave you in verse uh, 5 the God of patience. And here in verse 33, it's the God of peace be with you all. Amen. <clears throat> now then, quickly in this 16th chapter, I want to give you this. In verses... 1 through 23, you'll find Paul mentioning and honoring his fellow prisoners and fellow workers. And Paul sends greetings to 31 persons by name in this 16th chapter. And you'll find in <clears throat> verse 17, a special point of, of the verse that I'd like to point out, in verse 17 of this chapter, uh, he shows how that New Testament churches had divisions and offenses. Uh, in verse 20, you'll see that the believer shall tread on Satan, their arch enemy. This will happen. And then in verses uh, 25 through 27, you'll find the great benediction that he gives in this chapter. Let's begin to look at the early part of the chapter. Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is, which is at Centuria. Now, she's a servant. That doesn't mean she pastored the church. You've got a lot of lady or women pastors nowadays, don't you, so to speak. But I wonder what they do when they get up to preach on that scripture where Paul says, I suffer not a woman to teach or to preach, nor to usher authority over the man. That's the place she's taking when she stands behind the pulpit. Now, you can argue back and forth all you want to about that, but I'm just going to say I wonder how they preach from that text. Look in verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord as become of saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many. There are many good Christian women, ladies, that serve the Lord in the church and serve with various men and people in the church, others in the church, that carry on the Lord's work. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers. Notice, in verse 3 he says, helpers. In verse 6, he says, who bestowed much labor. In verse 7, he says, my fellow prisoners. In verse 12, he says, who labor in the Lord. So what he's pointing out all through these uh, uh, salutations, you might call them, is that he has fellow workers, fellow laborers, fellow helpers, fellow prisoners, and they're all uh, greeted by name. Thirty-one persons are named here that Paul pays respect to for their work and service in the Lord. He goes on down in verse uh, 4, and he says, Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. All the churches ought to be thankful, because they've had a part in the, in their, uh, in the ministry. Uh, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. At that time, they did not have church buildings like we have today. They either met in the synagogues or in the houses or, or various other appointed places where they could find a place to meet. But thank the Lord, in this day and hour, we have a special place where we can meet. It's still the, the church in the Riodosa Baptist Church, but we have a building we can meet in. Because I don't think I get all of you in my house. Ten-foot rooms. But anyway, I'm thankful to have a place to live, but still, we need a place to meet as far as the church is concerned. Some of those may have had small houses too, but they managed to meet at that particular time because we're, that was in the transition period, the things that were taking place then and there. And they did have to meet in some houses. 
but it was a, a whole community of people assembling together and organized as a church, and it carried on. They carried on the functions that we carry on today, even though we meet in a, a specific building and we built it for the purpose of meeting together. Because the building is not the church. It's the church house. Let's put it that way. The church house. And uh, the church is the people. A called out assembly. A body. A baptized believers. Having a covenant of faith together in the things of God. All right, let's go on with this quickly. He goes on to name many that uh, need to be saluted. He said in verse 7, uh, verse 6, uh, Greet Mary, which, uh, who bestowed much labor on us. In verse 7, he says, My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me, they were saved before I was, Paul says. And he speaks of all those that should be uh, greeted and honored. In verse 16, he says, Salute one another uh, or with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And then we come down to verse 17. Another point we need to make special emphasis on. Verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them and call that cause which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. What does Paul say about certain people? That New Testament churches had divisions and they had offenses. And you can read back in uh, 1 Corinthians. You can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Paul speaks of those that he said um, in verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by uh, them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So he tells that he had heard that there was divisions among you into the Corinthians. He said he even gave the source of his, of his information. He says, it's been declared unto me. It's not gossip. It's been declared unto me by those of the house of Chloe. And so we find that he gave the source of the information that he had of the divisions in the church at uh, Corinth. Here in Romans uh, 16, verse 17, he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, plead with you, to mark them. What are you to do with those? Mark them. Know who they are. And he says, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, that is, the teaching which you have learned. If people cause divisions contrary to the teachings, the fundamentals that you have learned as a Christian. Say, for instance, someone in this church comes along and says, well, now, we don't believe what Brother Joyce is teaching. Well, that's fine and dandy if I'm not teaching what the Scripture says. That's good. But if they say we don't believe in the virgin birth, or we don't believe in salvation being by grace through faith, or by uh, through Jesus Christ only as our Savior, if they don't believe the fundamentals of the faith, the doctrine which you have been taught, then you take your stand where you will for the, what the church believes and stands for. And don't go off on some uh, wild goose chase, chasing after some uh, false doctrine. Paul tells the Ephesians that you be henceforth no more children. Ephesians 4, I believe it's verse 14. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. In other words, every uh, little wind of doctrine that comes blowing around that you just latch on to that and say, well, they say that's the way we ought to believe. And here comes another wind of doctrine. But he says, be no more children. But he tells us 
uh, not to be confused with those things. You read Ephesians 4, I believe it's verse 14. All right, let's go on with this. He says, Mark them that cause divisions that's contrary to doctrine, uh, the doctrine which you have learned, and the doctrine which Paul taught was the, the gospel of Christ and the fundamentals of the faith, and Paul preached the word, and he told Timothy to preach the word. And he says, those that cause those things, he says, avoid them. Just avoid them. What do we try to do now? We try to bring them in regardless of what they believe. You know, we used to have a lady, I never will forget, in the church in Mount Pleasant when I pastored there. We'd have visitors come from time to time, and some of them liked it and some didn't. And she'd say, well, Brother Joyce says, now the Lord knows who we need. And I've often thought that. You know, you don't need everybody that comes in the church door. You need some of them. And we would welcome all that would come with the right spirit and attitude. But if they're coming to cause trouble and to cause offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned, then Paul says, avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words... Now look, they appear very good. By good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Sounds real good when you hear it, doesn't it? Now we're going to have to hurry and give you this. And he says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. He speaks of that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world in Romans 1 verse 8. Here he says, Your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but, but yet I would have you... Uh, wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. We spoke this morning of the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15. In Malachi, let me read a verse of Scripture. Chapter 4 and verse 3 it says this, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Christians are going to bruise Satan as well as the Lord himself going to bruise Satan under our feet. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and of the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan was cast down in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. We find that the last casting out of Satan takes place, and it says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his final doom. And then we find here that the, the next and most important thing, we'll read it beginning with verse 24. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is able... That is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience of faith. In other words, the gospel out to the Gentiles. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What a wonderful benediction to the book of of Romans that Paul gives. Let us stand together for a word of prayer. <clears throat>